Hi, I'm Jason Pritchard, and welcome to the EVTOL Insights Podcast, a brilliant show featuring guests from companies in the EVTOL aircraft and urban air mobility markets. Throughout each episode, we'll be finding out about their exciting projects, which will help revolutionise the way we travel in future and get their insights into the current state of the industry. In this episode, I'm joined by Stella Marissa Hughes. She's the Strategy, Business Development and Partnerships Leader for CAE's Advanced Air Mobility Group. Since the group was launched in 2020, Stella has led the go-to market strategy for adapting CAE's products and services from its civil, defence and security and synthetic environment divisions to a new set of requirements, driven by aircraft manufacturers designing novel aircraft, operators bringing to market complex missions and cities seeking immersive tools to support data-driven urban planning. Stella is responsible for generating top-line growth for CAE in the advanced air mobility industry and also securing partnerships, of which CAE has announced partnerships with Joby Aviation, Beta Technologies, Vertical Aerospace, Jaunt Air Mobility and Volocopter. Since Stella joined CAE in 2015, her work has spanned from R&D strategy, business development, OEM relationship management, M&A and venture capital. Stella previously worked at Bombardier Aerospace in Manufacturing Engineering and holds a Bachelor's and Master's degree in Mechanical Engineering from McGill University. So Stella, thank you so much for joining me on the EVTOL Insights podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Um, If I could just start off then, Stella. So I've kind of talked a little bit then about your background and kind of where your role lies within CAE. And I know some of our audience already knows some of the work that CAE does in the advanced air mobility industry. But for for our broader audience, are you able to tell us a bit more about what your role entails at the company and and really how important it is for not just CAE, but also what role it can play in the industry too? Sure. Um, So CAE... was established 75 years ago as a simulation manufacturer, um, but has grown over the last 25 years more into the training uh, training services space. Today, we offer training to civil aviation pilots and maintainers, defense and security forces, and to nurses and doctors in healthcare. Um, and there's definitely a you know a, a, a lot from those three different domains that can be ported over to advanced air mobility. Our goal is really to um, to support with digital solutions and services that can support in those really mission critical operations um, when you have to make fast decision making and ultimately with the goal of making the world a safer place. And I think, you know, so much of the discussion right now in advanced air mobility is around how do we ensure safety, both you know, for type certification, entry into service, but also for um, getting public confidence. So um, it it was naturally an area that CE saw ourselves participating in, um, both because it, it falls within our mission, but also uh, today, 75% of the aircraft pre-orders are from CE's existing customer base as well. So we wanna make sure that we can adapt our solutions to this new novel market. Um, where it's kind of a clean sheet and there's not necessarily a roadmap of how you build the future pilots and maintainers. Um, so that's really my my role about two years ago um, when I had previously been working at looking at how we see you can better work with startups um, to accelerate them and bring them into our ecosystem. And I had also been leading 
prior to that, a lot of the OEM relationship management that are in our, within our civil business division. Um, so this became kind of a natural fit to start talking to a lot of the uh, eVTOL OEMs and learning about their pain points and really trying to think about how can we do things a bit differently for this new space in order to make sure that it's affordable and ready on time, um, but also, you know, it, take kind of advantage of some of the latest technologies uh, in order to do so. We said at the start then, so you joined CE back in 2015 when kind of the thought of like advanced mobility or, or certainly urban mobility was kind of just a bit of a sort of a, a, a sort of a small conversation point as well. So you've really seen the growth from 2015 right the way up to present day with the likes of Archer and Joby really sort of motoring onto that certification kind of cutoff date they say like 2024 2025 I'd love to hear your thoughts then since you then started at CE and also with your background at Bombardier Aerospace too what do you make of the advanced mobility space at the moment um, I certainly know from my side it seems like there's new developments happening every week every month but I'd love to hear your thoughts on where what you think of the market and, and the growth that it's uh, potentially going to have in the next sort of 10 20 years no it's been a really exciting uh, particularly the last two years I think um, of seeing this industry move from just a, a focus very heads down build an aircraft and and get it through flight test into actually everyone taking a step back and realize, okay, these vehicles, A, are real, and B, they're coming, and they're they're coming sooner, I think, than a lot of the the folks outside our little eVTOL world will realize. Um, whenever I talk about this be, being uh, an industry will, that will really take off in 2025, I think the rest of traditional aviation is surprised, but we're really seeing it with the likes of, you know, uh, Joby and Archer hitting major... Um, uh, milestones with the FAA Volocopter, of course, in Europe leading the way. Um, so uh, uh, what excites me is now the focus on all the other challenges that it takes to get to those day one operations. Uh, I'm a manufacturing and process engineer by training, so I really enjoy thinking of like all the end state aspect of engineering. Um, and now we're seeing the conversation come in more and more about, you know, grid capacity, infrastructure, and really the workforce challenges. Um, and, you know, so that, so I think that um, makes it all seem much more real. But I think that there has been a lot that has been put aside uh, on those aspects of the discussion. You had, um, you had Ferrovial on a few weeks ago as well, and it was good to hear from an infrastructure provider you know, the long lead times that they see equivalently on our side, we see, you know, traditionally with OEMs, we'd work with them 36 months before entry into service so that there's long lead times on building the workforce of the future. Perfect. Thanks so much, Stella. And it kind of leads me on to my next question as well. And uh, because CAE published a white paper back in 2020 to sound the alarm on pilot training. And we know the issue has grown in more importance as we get closer to commercial services. You say that, um, companies there's so many different elements to the ecosystem that we all need to address as well but I'd love to sort of get your thoughts on what those key findings probably were from that report as well and and also as you mentioned that that workforce and and uh, pilot training challenges as well so are you able to tell us more about this white paper please and the significance of that for the industry certainly and thank you for raising the topic when we started our discussions with the advanced air mobility ecosystem, it was clear that the workforce was not top of mind. So we launched this paper on pilot training specifically, 
um, in order to start the discussion, um, both for commercial implications, but also for regulatory implications and get a lot of stakeholders aligned on how we'll train the future pilots. The four key findings were really, we need to build an entirely new workforce. These pilots will need training. Training is a requirement for entry into service and the journey needs to begin now. So I I think Jason, what's important to remember is we are in the middle of a pilot shortage and we estimate that a quarter of a million fixed wing pilots will be needed by 2030 in order to address attrition and growth of the commercial and business aviation market segment. On top of that, there's a shortage of helicopter pilots. And then if we layer on McKinsey's forecast of an additional 60,000 eVTOL pilots needed in the same period, we're in a major workforce challenge. The eVTOL community will initially pull upon both fixed wing and rotorcraft pilots in order to fill this demand, but we need to make sure that we are creating these pilots rapidly. Today, there's no off-the-shelf training program that exists, and regulators are coming out with guidance, but it's important that we we start the activities now in planning all, out all of this. And it actually does provide a really interesting opportunity because no program exists to be able to use data analytics um, to prove out that the programs that we develop are more efficient, and then to actually take that same performance data and feed it back into the training programs in order to be more efficient, ensure safety, and overall lower costs. It's also an interesting opportunity to bring in more immersive technologies into an eVTOL training program. So there are a lot of opportunities in building uh, this, this new workforce, but the activities need to start now. I think they've been largely dismissed because of simplified vehicle operations. So the aircraft are much simpler to learn initially just how to stick handle uh, because of SVO, but that doesn't mean that no training is necessary. It's important to remember that a lot of training is actually training to the mission and training to address uh, critical failures and be able to react quickly. These op- these operations are gonna be occurring at low altitude and in densely populated airspace. So pilots will have to react very quickly and um, need to rely on their training for that. These are also short missions. So the pilots will go through two to four critical phases of flight in an hour, instead of two to four critical phases of flight in a day which will add a lot of fatigue. And on top of that, these are single piloted operations, which means that the operator is there solo and you don't have someone else to support in decision-making. You also don't have the ability to have that mentorship that is needed in order to build a uh, culture of safety within an operator and to act as another check and balance. Finally, the urban environment presents a lot of unique challenges in operating an aircraft that helicopter pilots today are aware of, um, including, you know, uh, landing in urban canyons, um, addressing communication dead zones, addressing micro weather. All of these things need to be trained to. An OEM is, of course, responsible for demonstrating that the aircraft is safe to fly um, through the type certification, 
but it's also responsible for demonstrating that the entire operations are safe. So ensuring that there is maintenance uh, manuals and a training procedure in place, ensuring that the the program is there, that there are simulators, all of this falls under the operational evaluation. C is uniquely positioned where we are able to support OEMs with their operational evaluation. This is something that we do already today. Um, so the, the white paper discusses extensively all those activities that need to be done um, in order to be ready for day one commercial operations. And that journey typically begins 36 months in advance. C's um, training specialists will sit down with an OEM's uh, aircraft um, designers as well as their pilots and anyone working on the maintenance side in order to understand the training needs and in order to build out the equipment, the curriculum, the courseware, and have everything ready on time for that operational evaluation and then going through the approval process in order to be able to start training the, the workforce. Since the pilot training EB-12 paper was released, there has been a lot more dialogue and industry groups are getting much more involved with forming consensus standards. So we're glad to see that there's progress with the ecosystem paying attention to workforce challenges. And hopefully um, this will be a good stepping stone in making sure that we're ready on time for day one commercial operations. You mentioned at the start also about that collaboration and it kind of lot nicely leads into our next question as we talk about the various partnerships that CE has had or has got, sorry, with Joby, with Beta Technologies, Vertical Aerospace, Jaunt and Volocopter. So I wondered whether you might be able to touch upon your points that you just made and really talk to us a bit more about kind of how then you're working with these uh, companies. Is there any sort of updates or any, any particular projects that you can sort of share with us as to what that sort of working relationship looks like? Sure. And I don't think that there's, there's ever going to be a one size fits all because all these OEMs have different operating models. Um, you know, some wanting to be both an operator and an OEM versus some where uh, they're doing direct sales. And also it, each OEM is at a different level of maturity and that changes the relationship as well. Um but these are, I mean, these are real partnerships where CE is already committing and investing today to support them in standing up and being ready for day one operations. Um, with Volocopter, uh, we are supporting and delivering their training uh, to Volocopter, the airline, uh, globally. They're our launch customer for our mixed reality simulator. Um, so we're already working hand in hand with them to develop that in order to support the stand-up in Paris and in, in Singapore. Um, Joby is, um, Joby, we're developing a very customized uh, simulation product in order to meet their, um, their unique aircraft configurations. And Joby will be delivering the training themselves in-house. Um, but that's a really exciting um, collaboration for us. Um, and then with Beta Technologies, who are just south of the border for where, from where I am in Montreal, um, we've been working with them over the last few years to develop their uh, training program, both for pilots and maintainers, and performing a train needs analysis, really assessing their vehicle and what, um, what the different tasks are. Of course, Beta also has a bit of a different mission with cargo and with the um, 
the, the angle with the U.S. Air Force as well. Um, we also have a separate collaboration with. And then um, at John Air Mobility will be developing simulation, not just the simulation that goes into pilot training, but actually because our simulation is so high fidelity, we're able to use those simulators to as test benches um, for the, the airworthiness credits towards the program, as well as for a lot of human factors um, assessment and being able to do cockpit design. And then our latest announcement was a partnership with Vertical Aviation. And today Vertical um, has 10 customers, nine of which are already CE customers. And so we're working not just with Vertical and on uh, supporting them through their operational evaluation and in building out simulators for them, but also starting to work you know, globally with that customer base. I think one of the things that is, uh, you know, attractive about CE is that we have training centers globally and um, and being able to have close to base training is going to be so important in this market. I, you know, maybe it makes sense in business aviation to fly across the country or even internationally in order to be get, able to get a training course. But when these vehicles have, you know, very limited range, you're not going to to cross country. So we really want to be able to find solutions for all of our operator partners to be able to deliver close to base training. Excellent. Thanks so much, Stella. And I guess also it's really um, setting yourself up for more EVTOL OEMs that perhaps might not be as far forward as the likes of John Vertical and Beta or Volocopter, for example. So it's really helping us to sort of lay that foundations, I suppose, for um, the next sort of influx of companies that are looking to take advantage of this this market as well, I can imagine. Yeah. And I think it's actually, I, I mean, it's very synergistic. Uh, you know, first off, obviously, we respect confidentiality of all of our partners and to have the exact same, you know, questions today on Embraer versus Bombardier of making sure that there's no bias there. But I think that there's massive synergies just from the lessons that we learn um, on kind of the tasks that are needed and on being able to bring in new technologies and not necessarily burden a specific OEM with that. Um, and then also just from being able to have some thought leadership out there. Um, that is, you know, a, a very important aspect for my group is to make sure that we can lead the way in how they're, uh, you know, and create a unified voice in the industry around workforce challenges. Uh, for example, we have uh, Marilyn Pearson, um, who is our C's dedicated regulatory affairs specialist for advanced air mobility is co-chairing SE International's G35 committee, which is looking at putting out industry standards around um, uh, pilot licensing, simulation for uh, engineering and simulation for training, and trying to put together recommendations so that you would have unification across different authorities. And, you know, so that, that I think is an important thing for the industry to have that unified approach. And likewise, see as a business is also looking at how can we harmonize, you know, between different authorities and how can we harmonize between um, different aircraft platforms as much as possible in order to build a workforce so rapidly <laughs> that's needed. Otherwise, we're just going to bottleneck this industry. 
Thanks so much for that, Stella. So in terms of CAE, the company also launched its 700 MXR simulator at last year's Farnborough Air Show, which is tailored to EVTOL aircraft operations and business objectives. What impact do you think this product can have on the industry when it comes to meeting the demand for future pilots? Our goal is to be able to provide close to base training. And I think one of the major hurdles around using conventional training uh, technologies like full flight simulators is you know the the upfront capital investment and also the ongoing investment of needing large training centers in order to be able to house these so when we launched the 700 mxr the goal is to be able to um affordably provide the uh you know high fidelity training but close to base and it has a small enough footprint that you know, in theory, these could be integrated into vertiports themselves, but at least not need to have lar a large centralized uh, location. Um, we've reached this point in the last few years where extended reality technologies are becoming, you know, uh, increasingly uh, realistic and um, the regulatory authorities are getting more and more open and accepting of using these technologies. What we're doing is essentially bringing the dome that you would see in a traditional full flight to around the pilot's face and having them on a mini motion platform so uh, that they still get that motion cueing, but the out the window visual is all synthetic uh, and the um, everything in the cockpit is just what you see clearly through. So we wanna make the argument that this is exactly as realistic as you would have from everything that the pilot interacts with and that they still have that tactile response um, and actually have a heightened amount of immersion into the scenario where they are because you're able to look out the window 360 and really have that synthetic environment everywhere. You wouldn't be able to have as high a field of view using traditional technologies uh, just because of how how large the field of view is for the eVTOL cockpits themselves. Um, and so this is actually a way of being able to remove some of the negative training that could be there um, while making it, you know, hyper immersive and also um, much more affordable. Um, so so that's uh, was kind of the, the leading goal behind launching the product. Obviously, what's important is, is demonstrating an equivalent level of safety, um, which is where we are for the, the, the next few stages. I'd love to hear any more thoughts on what CE has got planned for 2023, you know, a couple of years um, before sort of that 2024, 2025, even 2026 goal for those services to launch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to continue to refi refine the mixed reality product. Um, C takes a very academic approach to demonstrating equivalent level of safety. And our goal is to achieve what's called a zero flight time training program. So most of these cockpits are single pilot and don't have a dual set of controls. Um, so you actually have to train entirely in simulation because there's no ability for an instructor to take over. So if we want to achieve all of those credits, we have to be able to demonstrate that mixed reality is um, capable of doing this. So we have a pilot study that um, has been launched and will be ongoing for the first part of next year. 
and then to be able to work with the authorities to make sure that we can qualify this device on time to support Bolocopter as well as our other partners in the standing up of their operations. Um, you know, more broadly, we're working with the authorities in each of the in each of the countries where the OEMs that we have partnered with um, plan on either delivering cut uh, aircraft to customers or rolling out operations themselves, and making sure that the solutions that we're delivering work, and also supporting just in some of the thought leadership around pilot licensing um, and training program design, and then of course, you know. Um, building upon our, our our customer base and making sure that there's harmony um, between the different stakeholders in this ecosystem. Are there any other industry trends that you're seeing at the moment? You mentioned some challenges um, that um, need sort of to have that focus on earlier in our conversation, but I'd love to hear kind of what the what are the key trends that you're seeing at the moment? The industry is now starting to think about day one operations and uh, you know, I've talked a lot about the workforce, but beyond the workforce, um, people are paying attention to aspects like grid capacity and infrastructure and sees getting more and more involved in this aspect. Uh, we've been recreating digital twins of cities in order to use them for training for years, um, but have more recently been adapting some of our synthetic environments and the data layers to that to support armed forces in decision-making. So one of the areas that we're having more discussions now is how we can leverage that simulation in order to support in data-driven decisions around complex environments. So essentially looking at where would you place vertiports into an ecosystem? How do we move um, people around? And I think that type of planning is going to be essential to make sure that we can make intelligent decisions uh, ahead of time. Um, so I love the all the discussion that is coming up more on the infrastructure side. I would also say while the workforce challenges are being recognized with pilots, we don't hear that as much with aircraft maintainers, which are going to be an equally important part of making sure that these vehicles can quite literally get off the ground. Um, so I think there's a few challenges still ahead, but what I do think is a very positive uh, trend is that uh, there's a lot more openness between the different players in this ecosystem to share insights, um, you know, show progress on their vehicle to one another and not necessarily see each other as purely in competition, but actually be able to share lessons learned so that we can ensure that day one, you know, operations do take off safely and that, um, you know, we're, we're really making sure that the, the discussion on safety is at the forefront of how we support these vehicles. For those that might be listening in and just want to learn more, a bit more about the work that you're doing at CE, or even just wanted to get in touch, um, if they're a, a company of a startup and want to have a conversation about pilot training or even about the work that you're doing, uh, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? So you can go to our website, um, ce.com, under civil aviation, um, and that would be one of the ways. He's very active on LinkedIn, as am I, um, and happy to respond back to questions there as well. Excellent. Thanks so much, Estelle. And then just finally, um, any any final thoughts or any sort of thing that uh, you wanted to sort of uh, finish off for our conversation um, just before we finish? 
No, thank you so much for having uh, me and taking the time to discuss some of these workforce challenges. I, It's great to be able to um, participate in eVTOL Insights. I know you've had a lot of different aircraft manufacturers, and I'm always eager to hear from all the other participants in this ecosystem as it really takes a village to raise an industry. No, very completely agree with you as well, Stella. Well, no, thanks ever so much for being a brilliant guest. Um, we'd love to have you back on for uh, another conversation uh, in the near future as well. But keep up the great work and thank you once again. Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to be featured in one of our podcasts or there's something you feel we should be talking about, then please send me an email at editorial at evtollinsights.com. We'll be back soon with another episode, so look out for it on whichever podcast platform you use. Goodbye. Goodbye.